Well, good morning, church family. One of the things we love to do as a family is go fossicking, go searching in search of gold or opals or something like that. And one of the stories that often comes up as we were uh, reminiscing about one of our camping trips is we were standing, we'd come through this uh, long dark cave and been chased by some bats and it was quite scary. There's a stench of a dead wombat or something in the cave that was really uh, hard to get through. Uh, and when we got through, we were standing on the other side of the cave and we come out into this sort of hole, if you like, and we had to climb back up a quite steep bank. And as we were standing there, we were thinking about what was, you know, what was like in the cave, telling the stories of the bats and how we escaped the, you know, bloodthirsty bats. And um, we heard these footsteps coming through the bush. It was dry and it was crusty and it was just slow crunch crunch and we were in the middle of nowhere and uh, you know we started your mind starts to race as to what it might be well Adam decided that he was going to go and find out what this thing was and so he climbed up this quite steep bank and uh, there's you know mine shafts all everywhere and it's quite it was quite dangerous he had to climb up in front of a mine shaft and when he got to the top he came face to face with this giant monitor lizard and he turned and his face was as white as a ghost and with a line virtually straight out of Lord of the Rings he, he said, run you fools! and he bolted back down this thing and we were worried whether he was going to fall in a hole or, or what he was doing and we didn't know where to run and we obviously had to turn and, and go back into the, the cave and uh, face the bats again as I often tell the boys when we're out searching for something, you never know what you find unless you go out there and search for it. You just never know. But searching takes a lot of effort. You know, it requires climbing mountains and going through creeks, getting tired and, and thirsty. And, but you never know what you're going to find. If you don't search, you won't find. And that's one of the things that Jesus encouraged us to do in Scripture, isn't it? He says that if you search for me, you will find me. It's almost like a guaranteed promise. Not like searching for gold or opals, we've been out numerous times and really haven't found anything of significance. But like finding gold, when you find Jesus, the, re the search is worth the effort. I can assure you of that. So today I want to define what it is we're actually searching for when it comes to Jesus. I mean, what is it that we are looking for? And you need to know what you're searching for, don't you, in order to find it. That's only common sense. Otherwise you might find some fool's gold and declare, I found gold, if you're really not sure what it is you're looking for. And I can assure you, fool's gold and gold are not the same value. In our search for Jesus, what we're searching for is evidence, if you like, that Jesus is God in the flesh. That Jesus is God in the flesh. Anything less than that is a false gospel. And it's not worth anything. It's not worth anything of substance. Jesus as God is not an easy concept to understand. It's, and I don't fully claim to understand it. But we're not told that we have to fully understand it. All we're told is that we need to accept it by faith. And that might sound simplistic, but that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He doesn't go into the, an explanation of the biology of a God and man, he doesn't explain that in scripture. He's, he just asks us to accept it, that this is what happened, that God entered the world in the form of a man. 
and took the penalty for sin. That's, the, that's what Jesus is asking us to accept by faith. And because this is a difficult concept to understand, the union between God and man, a lot of people try and demystify it and put it in terms that we can understand. They'll either say that God was fully, that Jesus was fully God, that you know he, he didn't need to eat or sleep or anything, that he was, he was a, a deity, or that he was fully man, and we try and make up stories about what Jesus did as a man. And they did that in Jesus' day as well. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus asked his disciples, so who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And basic, that's basically what uh, Islam teaches, is that Jesus was a prophet. He wasn't the son of God, he wasn't a deity, he was a good man. And liberal Christianity does the same. They say that Jesus is not divine, that he didn't do miracles, that, he, that the crucifixion really had no redemptive power about it to save people from their sin, and that there was no resurrection or ascension back to heaven. They were stories that were made up. And they will admit that Jesus is a great moral teacher and that he left us some great examples of how to live life and how to love people. I mean, that in itself is worth following Jesus for, uh, a good life and to love one another. You can't deny that. But that doesn't save you from God's judgment for sin. It doesn't leave you with anything of substance. According to the theologian Richard Nimbur, liberal Christianity, he says, has no substance. He describes it as a God without wrath, brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through ministration of Christ without a cross. And so in our search for Jesus, what we're looking for is evidence that Jesus is God, that he is both God and man. So let's continue in Matthew chapter 16 and let's just see how Jesus actually refers to himself. He asked the disciples, he asked, first asked the people, what do they say? And then he said, so what do you say? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In verse 20, he said, he sternly warned the people not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So, who is the Messiah? And why is he so important? And what, what is he going to do? And why are the Jews all searching for him? And remember last week, the Jews asked the question of John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? And the disciples were so excited when they discovered, we found the Messiah, they announced. John chapter 1, verse 41. And the Messiah in that text means Christ. And so all these names, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, just used that in Matthew 16, they all seem to cross over in some way. They seem to be some sort of a mix between the two. And so to look at them separately, we could do. It would take a long time. 
but they seem to blend in together and, and to separate them I think would be something like trying to separate the colours of a rainbow. It's just, uh, they all just mix in together. I mean, even the term son of man is applied in different ways by Jesus himself. Sometimes he used the son of man to describe himself as a human, that he was eating and drinking and sleeping. Uh, Matthew chapter 11 verse 19, for example, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say behold a gluttonous man and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners other times Jesus referred to himself as the suffering son of man who come to save the lost Matthew chapter 20 the son of man did not come to serve but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and other times it refers to a future glory and the son of man sitting in the judgment seat John chapter 5 He gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And so let's look at who the Jewish leaders were looking for when they were looking for the Messiah. Why was he so important to them? And what was he going to do? Why were the Jews searching for him? And to understand this, we need to go and have a look at a vision that Daniel had. So if we go into Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9, we read... Daniel had a vision and he said in verse 9 I watched as the thrones were put into place and the ancient one sat down to judge his clothing was as white as snow his hair like purest wool he sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out from his presence and millions of angels ministered to him many millions stood to attend him And then the court began its session, and the books were opened. And I continued to watch because I could hear this little horn's boastful speech, and I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. And the other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven and he approached the ancient one and was led into his presence and he was given authority honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him his rule is eternal it will never end and his kingdom will never be destroyed by daniel verse 15 was troubled by what I had seen, and my visions terrified me. And so I approached the one standing beside the throne, and I asked him what it all meant. And he explained it to me like this. These four beasts represent four kingdoms, and they will arise out of the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever. So from the Jewish perspective... The holy people is referring to them. And they're waiting for the Son of Man to come and defeat the kingdoms of the earth and set up his kingdom, Jesus, son, the Son of Man's kingdom on earth, and they will be ruling with Jesus. And if you go to the, some of the discussions the disciples had about you know, who will be sitting at your right hand uh, when this kingdom comes, you understand that this is what they're actually looking for, that this reign of Christ, this eternal reign of Christ on earth. 
and they understood that they, the Jewish people, would be part of that. So that pretty much answers the questions, doesn't it? So why it was so important? Obviously, he's, he's the ruler of his God, he's the ruler of the world. And, and it answers what he was going to do and why the Jews are searching for him. So we understand that anyone calling themselves the Son of Man or the Messiah, that comes with some pretty heavy weight with it. We're really saying that I am the Ancient One who's going to be sitting on the throne and judging the whole world. Throughout the Gospels, the four Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man about 81 times. And that did not go unnoticed by the Jewish leaders. Finally, they arrested him. They followed him around. They listened to all he was doing, doing and saying. But he kept on calling himself and referring to himself as the Son of Man. And so they've had enough. And in Mark chapter 14, and verse 60, they brought Jesus in and stood him before all of these high priests and Jewish leaders and all the elders, all the you know, leaders of Israel. And verse 60, the high priest stood up before the others and he asked Jesus well aren't you going to answer these charges they were they were coming up with all different charges if you want to read in Mark chapter 14 what do you have to say for yourself but Jesus was silent and he made no reply and then the high priest asked him are you the Messiah the son of the blessed one and Jesus said I am and you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. That is a direct reference back in to Daniel chapter 7, isn't it? So Jesus identified himself directly with that man that Daniel had seen in a vision. And then the high priest tore his clothing to show, the, show his horror. And he said, why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard his blasphemy. And what's your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. And then some of them began to spit at him and they blindfolded him and they beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. They were not convinced that Jesus was the Messiah because he didn't do any of the things that were mentioned in Daniel chapter 7. He didn't come and establish a kingdom. He didn't overthrow the Romans because Jesus' time had not come to do that. That time is yet to come. That's the time of judgment. Jesus came initially out of love. Jesus came to die for the sin of the world. Because he loved the world, John says, he came and died for the sin of the world. He took our penalty. So why do the disciples believe that Jesus was the Messiah? We're going to answer that question next week. So today... If you accept by faith that Jesus is God, if you accept that he entered the world and that he died to take the penalty for your sin, you will be saved from the judgment to come when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom on earth. There will be a judgment. That's very clear. So pray with me now. You can pray a prayer, a simple, simple prayer, and accept Jesus as your saviour. You can pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I believe that you are God. I confess that I am a sinner who will one day stand before you to be judged. But you died to take the penalty for my sin so that I might be forgiven. I want to give you thanks for all that you've done and accept you to be my saviour. I pray that you will be able to do that 
and believe it in your heart. Romans says when you when you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, which is God, the Messiah, you will be saved. Have a great week, church. And if uh, that's a prayer that you've prayed, please ring me or call me or send me a text or an email and let me know that you've been part of this, joined part of this family, of the spiritual family. Have a blessed week. See you. Yeah.